Welcome back to Drip, the DC Coffee Podcast. My name's Austin Brower, and I'm your host. I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Charles Shell and Matt Thompson of the Qualia Coffee team. Charles deals with sourcing and roasting, while Matt is a barista and has worked in management. This is a fun conversation because you get to see the roasting and barista side of things at Qualia's Petworth location, and in that location, the roaster is only a few feet away from the bar. As well, if you've ever had difficulty saying Qualia coffee or figuring out how to say it, I get a great lesson in that. So sit back, enjoy your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. Do you guys mind just kind of sharing what got you into coffee? I don't actually think of myself as being into coffee until really just a few years ago, it seems, um, maybe like 2008 or nine. And oddly enough, it was like Keurig cups that got me into it. Really? And it wasn't because of the coffee aspect. It was because I was like, oh, what is this neat machine where I can just put this little pot in there okay. and drink this liquid coming out of it? Yeah, my mom was in the, the process of buying a house, and mm-hmm. um, we were in her realtor's office, and I was like looking for tea or something because I was sick. And dude's like, oh, yeah, it's over there. And I went up there. It's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and there's a this pod. You know, this is, this is when Keurigs were not everywhere like they are now. So I thought the machine was so cool that I asked for one for, like, Christmas. And my girlfriend and my mom went together, went in together for it. And I had this Keurig machine, so I just started drinking coffee at that point. And, you know, I still didn't think anything of it. And I was just like, oh, this is, yeah, it's probably good. And it's cool. I'm drinking coffee. But, and I was, you know. 26 or something at the time, you know? I didn't use it to get through college like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started drinking it. But I think that I really finally got into coffee once I realized what it had or what you could do with it almost, you know? Like, that coffee can be so different because of where it comes from or how it's grown, the soil, uh, that sort of thing, how it's roasted. Once I saw that, I got excited about it, and I left my career in transportation, devoted my career now to coffee. Okay. Is Qualia the first place you started with? Yeah, other than that short stint in the uh, the cafe at okay. Barnes & Noble, where I learned the six key standards from Starbucks, or nice. whatever it was. <laughs> but yeah, I was actually a bookseller, and I was cross-trained to work in the cafe, so I knew what that was about, um, like coffee and how to prepare coffee and what okay. an espresso was, and that it was an espresso. Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> but yeah, as far as like actually being able to call myself a barista, for instance, uh, yeah. was uh, here at Qualia. Okay. Hey. Well, we probably won't get into those six key things that Starbucks talked about. <laughs> yeah, well, if I could remember them. Then <laughs> yeah, exactly. But a, a renaissance man who got into coffee. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you. And Matt? Yeah. So I, I don't know, I like to tell people when they ask, like, I've been drinking coffee since before you're supposed to drink coffee. Yeah. What age is that? Like six. Okay. No, yeah. Just because, you know, at like going to church on the weekend with my family and like my grandma would always have coffee at her house and things like that. There'd always be coffee around. Yeah. But it was nothing special. It was just, you know, Folgers and decaf half the time at my grandma's place. But like in my last couple years of high school, I started hanging out at a couple coffee shops in my hometown. And in college, I worked a pretty nice shop in my college town for a couple of years as a barista and kind of got more, you know, removed from the, or like kind of evolved from the just drinking ground coffee to like the actual preparation, much less so into like the sourcing of each bean and like okay. noticing its intricacies, but like preparation of drinks and lattes versus cappuccinos and all that 
more the the milk end of it. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to judge at the I don't know what they call it anymore. The basically the barista competition yeah. um, when they had their regionals in Colorado. Oh, sweet! Yeah, so I was a technical judge for the barista competition. Huh. That was interesting. I learned just a lot about the more the barista end of it. And then I worked in the construction industry for about 10 years um, before moving out here with my girlfriend and was kind of out of the, out of the loop there. So I just looked for other jobs. I was like, well, I like coffee. I used yeah. to be a barista, so I applied here. There's just so much to learn and know that it's, you know, it's a fun travel, a trip. Yeah, always learning stuff too. Yeah. And okay, very cool. So from Colorado, learning kind of the technical barista stuff and then coming out to Coela and working here. Great. But there was a, a question that, or a conversation we had before the podcast was really going, and it has to do with the name of where we are, because mm-hmm. I think I've already used three or four different versions when we're talking about it. <laughs> so, okay, we accept anything. Yeah, yeah, so. We're not picky. Um, <laughs> and it actually ties into the word and the definition of the word, too, right? Yeah. yeah. It's all up for interpretation. Really, so. Yeah. And so I guess for, for everyone who's listening, Qualia or Quayla or whatnot, Qualia. what's Qualia? Boom. There it is. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Eat used to it. Qualia. Like equality. Qualia. Like that. Yeah. Okay. Or just quality. Yeah. Or just quality. Actually, I think a lot of people think the name comes from just quality coffee. And actually, whenever I say, oh, I work for Qualia Coffee, they're like, quality coffee? All right. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, our logo has a quail in it, like a Bob White quail with yeah. the head thing. They're like, oh, I didn't know it was named after the quail. It's like, well, it's not. It's just a word. You know, they sound similar. Wordplay, so, right? Yeah. Okay. And that was your all's owner, Joel, right? Mm-hmm. Right who was really into the qualia experience. Yeah, the, I think he stumbled across the word, actually. If I remember the story right, the roasting company actually is called Fresh Off the Roast, and okay. it still is, and um, it was when he originally started selling at farmer's markets huh. over eight years, we'll say ten years ago. But uh, when he was setting up this shop, he had the lease, and he was doing the build-out here, he had stumbled across this word, I think, in a reading, and he's like, I know what we should call this place. It's qualia coffee because of that word meaning that people have these subjective experiences or they have their own interpretation of events or experiences that you can't really define or, mm-hmm. or translate because everyone has their own sense of, of that experience. Um, so he thought that tied in really well with experiencing coffee. You know, a lot of people didn't think of coffee as that way. It was just a vehicle for caffeine. But the way that he was treating coffee and the way that we treat coffee here is that their coffee is unique and everyone can have their own experiences with it, you know, just depending on you know, how their day is going yeah. or what food they had before even. So huh. there's not a right and wrong way to enjoy coffee. Nice, yeah. In that experience, uh, does that encompass or incorporate the environment that you're in when you have it too? Or is it specifically your interaction with the great coffee you guys roast? I, I think it has to do with like this, the set of uh, like circumstances that you're involved in too, but like yeah, I mean, a lot of it would have to do with the most droughts prepared, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about this because we have a roaster, which is Charles, and then we have a barista, which is Matt, and we get to learn a little more about kind of the interaction, and especially for me, the, the proximity that you all have to each other, which a lot of roasters and cafes don't actually have. Yeah, very literal proximity. Yeah, yeah. literal proximity. Feet. Uh, exactly, <laughs> and like daily roast, and so that's just exciting i want to get into that a little bit but um the just kind of to start maybe with charles and kind of going into the roasting especially with qualia 
I'm still saying it right. Qualia. Especially with qualia. How do you take that into account for your roasts when you're thinking about qualia? Because everyone has their kind of their own interpretation, we, we can't roast for everyone, obviously. So we do have a predetermined, I guess, set of parameters, we'll say, that you know, this is kind of our signature. This mm-hmm. is what we do. We're a fairly approachable roaster, so we, we roast in a certain way that um, people who are drinking standard coffees um, at places like your Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts that are um, kind of ubiquitous that they can come here and enjoy a cup of coffee just like someone from the you know third wave specialty shops could come in yeah. and also pick out the flavors that they want to as well. So we roast in a style that adds a lot of sweetness and body to the cup. I think uniquely as far as specialty shops are concerned, uh, we do have a lot of body and we focus a lot on the mouthfeel mm-hmm. um, when we prepare a drink for someone. You know, roast times typically in specialty coffee are probably around 12 or 14 minutes and we're pushing 16 or 17 in most of our rows, um, which allow us to develop the bean a bit more, uh, highlight those, um, those acids or flavors that come through, but also develop the body um, to create a nice balance. Okay. And it's, so is that for all beans? Um, the longer you roast it, the more body it will have? Or does um, that also depend on you know, processes or where the beans comes from. Oh yeah, totally. It's, it's going to vary bean to bean elevation soil type. And a lot of that we know ahead of time so we can get an idea of how to approach a okay. certain bean, but a lot of it we have to just kind of figure out through trial and error and through tastings to, um, to really work on that. Yeah. Um, and pull out what we want to. Okay. But, um, you know, as far as degree of roast, there's you know, light, medium, dark. We're working within that medium range. Um, and we will roast certain coffees lighter than others, um, but we do uh, kind of settle into a certain um, area of roast and play with inside that. Do you mind walking us through, uh, you source the bean, uh, or somebody does, and then what happens from there? Once you, I guess, get it, do you roast it when you're sourcing it? Just walk us through that real quick. Sure. Um, because of the size that we are and the amount of coffee that we're buying, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to go to Origin and source these coffees directly. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, I don't know if there's a lot of need to with so many importers working today to bring coffee to the U.S. Uh, so we have uh, a certain number of larger importers that we work with, a certain number of smaller importers, and then also um, people who are representing a farm in Colombia or Ethiopia who will just pop into the shop because they've heard of us or read about us. Yeah and say, hey, you know, I've got this coffee, would you try it out? So we work with, you know, on, on a regular basis, probably 15 different importers and then a lot of other smaller you know, family sorts of farms to uh, bring coffee here. But what we'll ask for is 100 grams of green coffee uh, so we can roast it in our small sample roaster. And then we will go through a cupping, you know, a quick assessment of that coffee uh, once it's been roasted and decide if it has enough interesting characteristics in it for us to buy bags of it. Okay. To sell in the shop. Nice. And then so you buy the green bags, bring them into the shop um, after you've done the, on your small roaster, and then you just start roasting on the larger roaster with those parameters that you talked about earlier. Right. Again, we, we take a moisture reading of the, the coffee bean, so uh, knowing how much moisture is in the bean, and typically it's between uh, 9 and, I'll say 13, but really 12% moisture okay. content. But depending on how much moisture is involved there, we're going to have to apply heat differently and more heat to get the moisture out in a a bean that has more moisture. But yeah, elevation is going to help as far as roasting is concerned too. The higher grown 
the coffee is, the more dense the bean is going to be. So the more difficult it is to penetrate the bean to heat it throughout. Hmm. So these are different factors we can we consider when we first roast a coffee that we brought in. Okay. And that's important because you still want to keep that same time limit on it? Or like around 12 to, you said, 12 to 13 minutes? 12 to 14 is 12 to typical, 14. but we're doing about 16 or 16. 17. Okay. Usually for roast. And so if it has a higher percentage of water, you're going to want to change the heat on it so you can still reach that amount of time for roasting. Exactly, exactly. But we also have to be concerned about the outside of the bean roasting more quickly than the inside of the bean, mm-hmm. so that's also something we have to consider, too, approaching the roast. Huh. So processing, especially like a natural processed coffee where the fruit is dried on the outside of the bean mm-hmm. uh, during the drying process, each of those beans is going to have a different character because they all had a different thickness of fruit on the outside of the bean when they were dried. So we have to be really careful with natural processed coffees, especially because it's not just um, that that particular bean is going to roast a certain way. Every individual bean is going to roast slightly different as well. Interesting. Okay. And so like with the processes, right, there's um, natural processed, wet processed. Um, there's a third one, right? Yeah. There's, in Indonesia especially, there's uh, a process called giling basa, which okay. is um, kind of a, a washed sort of process, but not all the fruit stripped off. And it's kind of a rugged process. And I think the way that it, it developed and the reason it's still going is because uh, farmers from like a small farm will end up stripping the fruit off their beans and putting it in a sack and taking it to the mill just so it doesn't ferment uh, yeah. too much on that trip that might take a day or two to get to the mill before it can be finally processed. So there's there's kind of this, this ruggedness uh, that you get with a lot of those coffees. And I think it's because of the processing. Huh. Okay. Um, but I think, oh, and there's also a, a honey process. Honey process. Yes. Right, which Thank is you. kind of a mixture between like mm-hmm. the washed and the, uh, the natural process. Okay. And Matt, on your end, with the consumer side yeah. um, in the Petworth area, mm-hmm. do most guests when they come in, are they thinking about how beans are processed? Is that a question you get a lot? Or is so it- for, yeah, so for some of our regulars or people that have been exposed to more like third wavy, I guess, copy places that are more concerned with sourcing, Yes, we do get some people that will, you know, request, oh, I heard you guys had, you know, this honey process law. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Or, you know, I really love the fruit forwardness of the natural processed coffees. But, I mean, the majority of people don't really know or probably care. Um, yeah. A lot of people are open to talking about it or, like, learning more about how it affects the flavors of the coffee, mm-hmm. which is, is nice that we, you know, have so many coffees available all the time uh, that we kind of talk people through and see what they liked previously, what they might like next time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a great experience because there is, uh, at least right now, there's, what, like 10 or 12 different coffees, and I can say I like this, and the baristas will always comment on, like, oh, well, you might have liked it because of this quality or this process, mm-hmm. therefore I think you'll like this. I think you're right. The, um, the other side to that coin, though, is because we have so many coffees, they rotate through pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we just got rid of a uh, Columbia natural process. Columbia oh, that was awesome. Yeah, pretty popular, super strawberry forward. Like, it was very unique. And, like, that one's gone now. So we'll have to try to see what is kind of similar to other people might kind of enjoy as well. Yeah. Maybe natural process Brazil or something. Yeah, we, we do have a Bali, actually, in the works. Mm. Um, so we have it on hold at a warehouse in New Jersey. Okay. Um, so that'll be coming in. Um, Bali natural. Yeah. Uh, which will have a lot of that intensity. Okay. So we can look for that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> a while. Whenever it is. So I guess because 
we talked a little bit about proximity, but because your consumer is right there and you buy a ton of micro lots and that's how you roast, how much play does that have on what you roast, what the customer really enjoyed? Like if they really love the Columbia Natural, are you guys thinking, oh, we need to buy more yeah, Okay, are we purchasing for the yeah. customers or are we yeah. purchasing for ourselves? Mm. Wow, I don't even know. I, yeah. I would almost say that we're probably doing more for ourselves than for them. Yeah. I think for that if the coffee is the droll like. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that if, um, you know, if the customers had their choice, they would probably, I think most of them would side on you know, consistency. I don't mm-hmm. want to say our customers in particular because I think we, we draw a certain crowd just because of the variety. Because okay. people can come here and try different things. But, you know, there are two or three coffees that we have virtually all year yeah. long. And because of the growing seasons, it works out to where uh, we can get it year-round. Mm-hmm. Both Brazil and Ethiopia have these fly crops that they do. They can harvest year-round. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that we're always just trying to find, you know, what's good and what's interesting. And, you know, we will consider, too, um, in purchasing, like, are, are people actually going to buy this? Is mm-hmm. it going to sell? But I really think that's... weird. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's more of an afterthought. I think that if the coffee is good, then we can sell it. Yeah. And, um, people just need to know that it's available and that it, that it is good. I think some of those customers who, who buy our Ethiopia Yoga Chafe or, or Sadamo Ardi, um, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that we have on the shelves almost all the time, you know, it sells out, like, oh, what do I pick? And then the barista can recommend something that might be similar, might be pushing the boundaries a little bit, mm-hmm. and then they discover that's actually their favorite coffee, yeah. not the one that they've been drinking all this time. Yeah, if you never try any the new ones, you're never going to know. Right. So for everybody listening, yeah, try, try new coffee. coffee. Try new coffees. <laughs> try new coffees. Huh, okay. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, that's... It seems like in general, kind of the third wave is that, and that if you produce interesting and exciting and new and innovative coffees, people are going to be interested in that and want to consume it and learn about it. At least that's been my experience so far. Yeah, it seems like it. And so I guess for you all in D.C., are there, would you say that most of your customers are third wave people or... Or what's kind of the makeup, and we'd love to hear how that's changed. Yeah, bit. well, up in in Petworth here, the crowd has definitely changed. You know, over even just the past three years that okay. we've been here, and like, and the shop's been around for eight years now. So I can only imagine the five years before we got here how different it was. Yeah, and Petworth's become a much more affluent area. It's much more you know young families, you know, career, you know, federal service or foreign service type people and yeah. those kind of things. What was it before? Um, I mean, Petworth's always been kind of a little bit kind of the, the backwater of Northwest D.C. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, pretty low income, pretty high crime for a long time. It was just, you know, not really the place where you would think to find, you know, a third wave fancy coffee shop. And yeah, I think, I mean, Joel grew up in D.C. and he knows the area and he happened upon this place. It was in proximity to where his house was at the time. Still is, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. He'd take the 62 downtown to his, uh, his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was writing for a reporter for health issues or something along those lines. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So he did cruise down George Avenue all the time, and <laughs> this place was available. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, even three years ago, we still had, you know, occasionally, you know, the strollers and, you know, people on their laptops and things like that. But it wasn't nearly like it is now. It's like, on the weekends, especially a constant stream of, you know, people with toddlers and which is awesome and great. And it's cool that um, people are still getting to enjoy that, especially in this area. But yeah, I think that's, it's changed a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if that's really affected 
or influenced our coffees really. Okay. How we how we select them and how we prepare them and stuff. And I, I think that we do get a certain number of people that are here seeking out that third wave specialty mm-hmm. shop. But I think that we draw most of our, our crowd is probably just people who are in the neighborhood yeah. who like to support a local business. A neighborhood shop, what's that mean? And what do you guys do to foster that and grow that here? Yeah, again, the business was started, you know, say, uh, I guess eight years, May 1st, was it? Mm-hmm. It's something like that. And at the time, there were not a huge number of small businesses. And if they were, I think they're more, more like bodega sorts of businesses okay. in this area. But up on, up on Upshur Street, you know, two blocks north of here, a place open called Domku. Uh, I think the, the owner provider's name is Kira. Um, and I think a lot of people in this area credit her as being um, someone who revitalized Upshur Street and brought in a lot of the, um, you know, like the restaurants that are there now. But I think that the owner was um, was working, you know, like people with, with people like her or Annie from the Ace Hardware store nearby, okay. in promoting, you know, basically businesses in in this area in Petworth, and you know, fostering this community, our sense of community here. Um, so, you know, a coffee shop, especially, I think, is a meeting place, and it has been, you know, in all of history. Probably, yeah. people come and meet over a cup of coffee. So, you know, there's so many people that we get in here who are from the neighborhood who are meeting up with someone else. Uh, uh, either they're looking to buy houses, you know, a lot of realtors come here, mm-hmm. or even, you know, selling goods or something like that. So yeah. a, a potential client here. Yeah. There's a lot of dates, first dates. Uh, first here. dates, oh, yeah. yeah. For those ground. people that don't want to have their first date at a bar, the mm-hmm. uh, coffee shop is the second. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get to see a lot here, but I think that as far as a place in the community, that's uh, certainly uh, what a coffee shop serves. Yeah. Upstairs yeah. where we are now, like we have open rooms, like study room areas, and you, know, you can even reserve the front room if you want to, but, you know, we've had, you know, knitting groups and, you know, all kinds of, you know, assorted, you know, groups come and meet here. Yeah. Yeah. We don't charge anything. So. Council member, yeah. the mayor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The mayor's been here. Yeah. The, you guys are popular. Yeah, the, the current mayor, um, this was her district when she was on the council, um, worked for. He's okay. Like, she's familiar with her. So they yeah. want to talk to the mayor. Yep. Wait here long enough. Yeah, wait here long enough. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so it's also not only the shop. You guys, I walked in and Charles was switching out the, the roast that you sold during uh, the farmer's markets. But that seems like another way that you kind of outreach to the neighborhoods. It's probably great for business as well. But I guess do you mind talking to that of how important that is to uh, your business and then how you see farmer's markets? Uh, yeah. So... There aren't a lot of coffee roasters that, I mean, a lot of coffee roasters on our scale that are operating at farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think of Zeke's, which is also doing a lot of markets in town. But we really push the the, the farmer's market thing here because we, we consider coffee as, you know, like a, a living, breathing product, really, yeah. uh, that it is produce, essentially. So we're treating coffee as produce, getting out there while it's fresh so people can enjoy it and all of the flavor character that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like produce, uh, it will die over time as it oxidizes. But yeah, being involved in markets, uh, I think we're in five or six now, mm-hmm. also does kind of contribute or be part of that community so we can reach our customer mm-hmm. on a certain level. Yeah. And where they are, they don't have to schlep up here. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just earlier today, I think I overheard a, a customer saying, oh, you know, like, that worth <laughs> something like that you know I, I can't remember exactly what it was but yeah um, uh, it's like oh it's kind of funny you know to think of like Petworth who would have thought you know? yeah. yeah do people come to your booth and say like oh yes I was trying to find you guys 
Yeah, uh, I've, I've, I can, yeah, I've worked a few. Worked um, twice. Okay. <laughs> All right. But it's been like two years. Yeah. Matt can field this question. Yeah. Then. So we think the, the closest farmer's market to us is obviously the Petworth Farmer's Market, which we're not at because it's literally like three blocks away. Yeah. So kind of take away from one. business. Yeah. But yeah, it's really nice. Like I, when we were briefly at the DuPont Farmer's Market in the wintertime, which was cold um, uh, it was yeah it was interesting because people would be like oh you know we've always wished there was coffee you know at the farmer's market it's so great to have you know access to this stuff without having to like go out you know I can just do it while I'm getting my normal weekly shopping done yeah. and like that was kind of a almost yeah, kind of a messy farmer's market for us because we were only there every other week and so it was tough for people to get in the habit like they weren't sure which weeks we were going to be there yeah. but like at Columbia Heights um, we're there you know every time they have a market we're there. We've been there for years. Courthouse in Arlington, we're there all the time. So it's, yeah, it's nice. People can have that consistency. Like they know, like every week there's going to be fresh coffee and they might be something new, might be something they've had before, but they're able to, to kind of work it into their normal routine. Yeah. That's kind of nice. I think it's almost like an annex for you guys. Yeah. It's temporary. And we don't miss weeks, you know, like it's not like, Oh, it's raining. We're not going to show up. We're, We're always there. And I think that, also plays into the sense of community at the shop too. We we haven't yeah. closed the store in like four years or something like that. We're uh, open three hundred and sixty five days a year. Mm-hmm. Even when like you know Snowmageddon happens, yeah. most of the people that work here live, you know, just blocks away, so we're able to get into the shop and have it open. And I can think of the last snowstorm, which was not this winter but the previous winter. Yeah. Yeah, there's a foot and a half maybe on the ground. I think we actually went yeah. out that day. Um, <laughs> but uh, after work, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we still had, you know, we shoveled the walkways and we still had, you know, easily 20 customers that morning. Yeah. And, um, oh, that's incredible. And they, they appreciated that, you know, so they could kind of, the cabin fever that they were experiencing mm-hmm. at home or get the kids out or something. So they had a place to come get hot chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite page on our website is uh, is Quali open? Just says yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's nice. I mean, you you do think of what's one of the characteristics of a really good friend, and it's that consistency and that you know positive quality. And so, in a lot of ways, Qualia kind of serves that in the community of just a really good friend, just always there, always there, with different great coffees. Yeah. So uh, the first time I came here, actually. Was what was it? It was probably two, three weeks ago. So was that your first time? Yeah, that was my first time. Mm-hmm. So I'd always read about you guys and been like, I got to get up there. I walk in and the roaster's right there, and there's Charles doing a roast. And so we kind of started talking. But while I was there, a barista came back mm-hmm. and was like, "Hey, Charles, what's this roast? Tell me a little bit about it." And he did. And then the customer ended up coming back and following the barista. And so there was just roaster, barista, customer, all kind of talking about the coffees so what's that do to the dynamic in the building and as roaster and as barista do you like that feel or maybe that's not the right question but i guess describe <laughs> that interaction the fearing an answer that you don't want to yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually can't stand each that? other <laughs> yeah no i i really enjoy it um i mean charles and i are friends but mm-hmm. you know um even when Joel's here. No, um, it's just <laughs> the other really roaster. Nice. Yeah, the other roaster. It's, it's always nice just to know, you know if there's a question about a coffee or something like this coffee is not acting very well on espresso. Like, you know, is there any, do you have any input, any ideas? Um, let's not use it again, that kind of thing. Um, or like, okay, we're out of this on the shelf. How long are we going to have it in stock? Somebody, it's their favorite coffee, but they don't want to buy too many bags at a time. Is it going to be here in two weeks? Like, well, yes, no. Yeah. How much do we have left in green stock? And yeah, it's, it's just good to have that resource 
always available right there. It's really yeah. nice. Especially as, as fresh as we try to keep our, our inventory, uh, it's always nice to be able to just grab it immediately mm-hmm. without having to you know, wait for it to arrive on a shipment or something. Yeah, and so what about at least how I view my job when I'm a barista? It's very much to like educate, and I'm the person who gets to kind of manage that relationship with the customer. Mm-hmm. And here you can kind of bypass the barista in some ways. What's it do to you as a barista? A yeah. Well, it kind of depends on what the customer wants out okay. of the coffee and the experience. Like if they are coming to get, you know, whole beans, roasted beans, or even green beans, we get, you know, several people a week come and look for green beans to roast themselves. Really? Okay. For those kind of things, if, you know, if the roaster's not too busy, it's real nice to have, be able to have them because they have much more intimate knowledge experience with the coffees, like on the roasting side of it. Yeah. It's like, I haven't even tried all of our coffees right now because we have so many new ones all the time. Um, so that's it's nice for for that kind of thing or if somebody is you know more curious about the sourcing or the processing or something then it's realized to have somebody that they are you know always you know more almost always more knowledgeable about the specific beans than the baristas are because we have more things to worry about um you know milk and cup stocks and things like that Mm -hmm. that we gotta keep an eye on and bagels and pastries and you know but as far as, you know, if the customer's not really looking for that kind of interaction, if they're just looking for just a cup of house coffee or, you know, what's new, we always know what's new, all the baristas know, mm-hmm. so we talk to them, talk through those things, or like espresso drinks, things like that, are less dependent on the roaster's knowledge, and the barista can handle those questions. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I guess so from your side, Charles, as the roaster how do those interactions usually go and kind of same question. What's that do to your day to day and the way you approach customers? Typically I'm happy to, um, to, you know, to work with customers. So whenever I'm, you know, someone's directed to me at the barista, it's like, Oh yeah, you can go talk to the roaster. They might have some more information. I'm like, Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. As long as my workload that day isn't (laughs) (laughs) 21 batches. Um, but yeah, that's one of the advantages slash disadvantages of having that, that roasting space you know, right there so the public can, you know, I'll be in the middle of roast and there'll be someone like, you know, trying to get my attention. Oh, What's going on bad, here? You know, what are you doing there? Um, no yeah, like, like no this guy yeah. here. <laughs> um, that but, match turned out great, by the way. It was awesome. <laughs> Luckily that happens enough to where like, you know, I, I can handle it. I know how to handle it. But no, just, just before we stepped into this room, actually, I had uh, one of the baristas, um, a customer to ask, like if we had any coffees that had heirloom varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't expect a barista to know all the different varieties um, of bean that are in uh, the coffees that we serve. You know, we have 12 different offerings here. So because I'm sourcing the coffee, tasting the coffee, even before it comes in and we're roasting it, yeah. I have a lot more background knowledge and I can memorize those sorts of things. I also work here more hours than most of the baristas now does too. So I think it's helpful that I'm here, but I definitely appreciate when the barista is like, you know, really step up and um, are able to, to communicate with, communicate with the customer in, in that way. But yeah, especially with like tasting, you know, I, even though I might taste more coffees, I can't say that my sense of taste is better than theirs. So if there's yeah. a customer asking for opinions on, you know, certain types of coffee, if there's a chance that the barista has a palate that's more in line with that customer mm-hmm. than, yeah, than me. So I can't step in and be like, no, no, this guy over here, he's wrong. That's tangerine. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I realize that, I acknowledge that, so I have to, I have to welcome that. Yeah. Huh. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And I remember asking your opinion, and then I asked the Bruce's their opinion, and 
kind of just incorporated them all into my decision. Yeah. So well, so like really that nice. Columbia that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Like, not a fan of that coffee. Yeah, I'm that's right. You were kind of fan. You're like, this is interesting, yeah. but yeah, and it's for a certain person, you know, that that wants that cup. But like, for me, it it doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah. and that kind of all funnels back into Qualia, mm-hmm. right? It's your own experience with me. Yeah, and so when you walk into the store and you look at the the roaster, and then also the accompanying computer with it, all the roast profiles are up, and there's kind of free access into what people are seeing that you're doing. Why? Probably because we don't, we aren't too concerned about people replicating a roast because mm-hmm. a lot of what we do is sourcing the coffee. So you first have to start with the right bean. Yeah. You, know, you can't just throw any bean in a roaster and then have it come out good because you're an excellent roaster. So a lot of it has to do with our initial, like our palate and judging whether or not a coffee is of good quality or you know, a tasty coffee. Um, and then it's our job to try to treat it in a way that it'll come out um, how we want it to. But there's so many factors that come into play as far as the roasting is concerned. So even if someone took those, you know, that roast profile, yeah. say it's you know, 16 minutes long, your charge temperature of the roaster is you know, 280 degrees, and the coffee turns and starts increasing in heat at around 160. Even if people have these factors, they it'll be very hard for them to replicate that in their own roaster, in their own space. Uh, we have a very unique and specific thing going on here because of the size roaster that we have. Yeah. Um, how we control airflow, uh, drum speed, which isn't showing up on that roaster. Okay, yeah. Which is agitating, right? That's what um, that drum speed would do. You're right. So, uh, you know, you can increase it or decrease it depending on how much conductive heat you want. So, you know, the slower the drum speed the more contact those beans will have with the drum itself yeah. rather than just tossing through the air, okay. um, which would promote convective heat. So, yeah, there's a lot of little factors yeah. that come in here that, you know, we're not afraid that if someone took a picture of that profile and tried to replicate it, you know, that, that it could actually be done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And also, we're, again, we're cycling through so many different coffees that even if they took that profile, like, we're already on to the next coffee. Yeah. Huh. And I guess just thinking about the coffee industry here in D.C., are, are people usually pretty open to, like, if you're going to do another roaster, are they willing to talk about this bean that they had and kind of the profiles? Or if you're going to do another barista, can you kind of dive into those uh, different qualities that make each shop unique? Sure. Well, as far as baristas go, I mean, since we're a little bit removed from the actual roasting like proprietor, proprietariness that may or may yeah. not be around that, like baristas definitely share, you know, their experiences with, you know, certain espressos or something like this. So, oh, we had this coffee from Ceremony, you know, that was, you know, there in Annapolis. And like, that was such a great, you know, great coffee. It acted really well in this blend. And it, but we're kind of a little bit unique in that we always are on single origin espressos, mm-hmm. which most espressos are a blend. They're usually roasted specifically for espresso. We literally use the same coffee that you buy off the shelf yeah. as our espresso. It's just two days older. Makes it tough. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, the espresso is always going to act in a unique way and have a unique flavor compared to something that was specifically um, kind of designed around espresso. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool, but it's, like, it's harder to share <laughs> that right. experience with other baristas. Okay. Uh, unless they've, you know, done a lot of single-origin stuff. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Barista side of things. How about roaster side of things? 
Well, yeah, I think there's less of a roasting community or roaster community. At least I'm not involved in it. Okay. Like, they've, they've kept the secret from me. Yeah, you got another year and then yeah. you're in. But, you know, there's maybe five or six roasters who are probably doing, like, a similar thing to what we're doing as far as sourcing single origin and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't have get-togethers on Wednesday nights or anything like that, like the baristas have on the yeah, Thursday throwdowns throwdowns. and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Third Thursday, is it? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's just, the space here is just so small. Yeah. That, like, yeah, we were just overrun with people. Um, I'm surprised the floor didn't collapse, yeah. honestly. But I, I've always felt a sense of, uh, like, an open community. Yeah. Even though, like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm an active participant with other roasters in D.C., um, anyone that I've talked to, you know, has been completely friendly and willing to discuss anything. You know, I've, I've I've gone to different workshops or group certifications or whatever where I've met fellow roasters and yeah, uh, cool group of people. Almost seemingly like uh, everyone's trying to just figure out how to do it well. Yeah, uh, there's there's so many I think unknowns in coffee. No one can really nail it down. So everyone's just kind of searching to figure out exactly what's happening during that roasting process. And I think that. At least the people that I've met aren't so concerned about like hiding, you know, their roast style or their roast profiles uh, from others. They want to really more contribute uh, and try to figure it out, like the best way to do things. Yeah. So, so not one, you know, best way set in stone. It's not, there's no proprietary, right. you know. Of course, that's how we think. You know, there are roasts certainly good out point. there that are like, no, this is the way you need to do it. Yeah. Um, and I have met people like this. Yeah. You know, that you know, this is coffee. This is how it should be both on, you know, the dark roast spectrum and also the, you know, the people who really, that third way of light roast, um, who are just like, this is how coffee needs to be because people need to know this is what coffee is. Right. I don't know. Yeah, and that's a, a great balance I think you guys have of, I think there's this connotation, at least of early third wave, that it's like very snooty and, oh, you can't put milk in your coffee and when I come here, I don't get that. There's a nice balance of, we want you to be educated and learn about a roast and learn about roasting and what good coffee is, but also like, it's your Quela. I said it wrong that time. Gosh darn it. <laughs> you want to say See, it's open here. But it's your Qualia experience. And that's something I think you guys do really well, um, at least in the DC community. Everybody's open, but you guys especially are. This is yours. We just want to help facilitate it. I love if everybody would at least try their coffee without cream and sugar in it first. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a problem if somebody wants to put yeah. their coffee. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> Sometimes it's really good. Oh, yeah, no, no definitely. Yeah, Some coffees just, especially, oh, yeah. definitely, they take the milk better than others. Yeah. 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 We have this single origin Rwanda, and it, mm. for some reason, I kind of don't like that I like it, but it's like, this is good. <laughs> I got to do it. Yeah. This is like how I am with latte art. Like, it does nothing for me. But, like, I can appreciate how it can enhance an experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Milk can enhance the coffee, and it can make it a different experience, but a really good experience. Yeah. Huh. And I think latte art, you know, if you see something, it's going to make you feel a certain way. Yeah. And then when you start consuming that beverage, it's going to make that beverage even better. Yeah. For me, it, it just it doesn't do that. Yeah. But for me, it shows, like, an intention behind what. Like yeah. some thought has been put into exactly. yeah. it. Yeah, some practice. Yeah. Like yeah. there was one barista in Baltimore that I had met one time, and he's like, "Oh, latte art, you have to do that because otherwise you don't know if you have the milk correct." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, so I mean, true. that's one way that you can tell if the milk's correct, but or you could just know that the milk's correct." Yeah. <laughs> Whichever one, I guess it's like <laughs> a handwritten note versus an email. Yeah. Like, hmm. Okay, and so 
kind of moving into a more macro level of DC, we talked a little bit about kind of some bigger players coming into the game. How do you see the DC coffee community changing? I mean, Starbucks moved in across the street a couple of years ago, and it really didn't affect us. Okay. <laughs> if anything, it kind of gave the people that were not going to be happy with their experience here because we don't have, like, we don't have flavor syrups, we don't have frappes, we don't do anything like that. Like, it gave the people that were going to come in here and be disappointed, give them another place to go yeah. and be happy, and that's fine. And I'd rather have people go somewhere else and be happy than come here and be unhappy. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of our, our nearest, you know, big competition, I suppose, as far as, you know, drinks go. Proximity. You know, as far as the um, roasters that'll bring, like, you know, specialty coffee to the forefront. And Starbucks, really, we you know, have to, like, put a lot of yeah, totally. credit toward them for for really highlighting the farms. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're buying in such mass quantities now, it's kind of a different operation than you know, they were back in the late 70s. But, you know, there, there was a lot of push uh, on how coffee could be unique and interesting, you know, at least when I was in, like, in high school and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so, like, people who weren't t- turned on by coffee at all might have actually started trying it. So I yeah. think that, you know, Starbucks has definitely played a role in all of this. But, you know, the, um, the bigger, you know, roasters that are coming in, like, um, uh, like Compass or La Cologne, yeah. who, you know, set up, like, five or six shops in the past couple of years, I'm not feeling that threat yet. Um, I think that, you know, at least, uh, just like Starbucks had, they're, they're bringing attention to coffee. Yeah. And that coffee can be done in a certain way. But, you know, we are also are, you know, different than, than them and what we're doing. We're not, we're not a wholesale model. You know, what we're selling is here in the storefront or at farmer's markets. Yeah, you can't go to Yes or Whole Foods and find our coffee or mm-hmm. even Safeway. Right. So we're really pushing freshness. I, I know that Compass has something like a, a six-month best buy period. I, I would assume that Lachlan is a, a lot shorter than that at least from my experience, they're probably closer to a month or something or a few weeks. But, you know, freshness is very important as far as enjoying coffee to the utmost, I guess. Yeah. I'm not feeling the pressure yet, but I wonder where it's going to go. We we don't have the money to set up multiple shops, and we're never going to win the popularity contest on, like, Popville because... We don't have six storefronts to cater to people. We're not pretty. And, right. you know. But we do do pretty well, though. Yes, we, we do yeah. pretty well. So we, yeah. we do end up making those lists somehow. So mm-hmm. People have heard of us. Oh, Our great comments. personalities. Yeah, yeah. Yep, you two especially. <laughs> I, I hear yeah. everybody comment about Charles and me. Slightly surly staff. Yep. <laughs> no, that's always fun um, in coffee shops. Gives character, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you get that vibe right when you walk in. The baristas are right there, and they'll say hi, and they'll joke around with you. So that's important. As far as like neighborhoodiness, like people are lazy. I'm lazy. I don't want to go more than a few blocks out of my way for a coffee shop. I mean, unless, you know, Compass opens up literally across the street, I think that, you know, the people in the area are still going to come here. Yeah. Okay. The last round I like to do, you probably saw it on the itinerary, but it's a speed round. And I'm curious about that. I just scroll down that far. Oh, you didn't scroll. Come on, man. There's one page. But I'll say a word, and then you guys say the first thing the first word that you think of mm. when I say it. Sure. Coffee. Cup. Taste. <laughs> <laughs> um, roast. Monkey. <laughs> Don't ask me. Uh, I saw it on the wall. Um, medium. So bad. Uh, that's great. Uh, latte. Art. Uh, art also. Sorry. No, you gotta change oh, it. Oh, change it. Oh, got milk. Milk. Rose profile. 
computer. Charles. <laughs> um, How's a good one? Quailia. I mean, coffee. <laughs> oh, okay, good coffee. Um, quails. Let's quails. Go. Yeah. Okay. Barista. Friendly. Also quails. <laughs> Charles. Uh, shell. <laughs> uh, beer. Roaster. Machine. Joel. <laughs> oh. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for spending. It's been like an hour now with me uh, talking about things, but it's been really great to hear your perspectives and, and especially learn about quality because if you haven't been to Petworth, you need to come up and check it out to meet either Charles or Matt, but also to have the great coffee. So thanks. Have a good time. And that's a wrap folks. Thanks for listening. If you want to stay up to date with Charles and Matt at Qualia Coffee, Check out qualiacoffee.com or any of their social media handles on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Subscribe to Drip a DC Coffee podcast wherever you get your podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Drip DC Podcast. Lastly, check out our website, dcdrippodcast.com. A quick thanks to the folks that helped make this podcast possible Phil Bass Knight and Colin Cross of the Broke Royals, brewing up some great beats. Rebecca Silverstein dropping some incredible artwork, Wesley Stukenbroker roasting up some creative support, and Steve Stewart tamping out some edits. Thanks so much for listening, and keep brewing community.